Well, glad to be back with you this week, but it was such a joy to have Pastor Tom here with, with us last Sunday. It is always good to learn from him, uh, but I was also a little bit selfishly grateful because it freed me up last week instead of prepping a message to focus on other things. And in particular, I was really looking at outreach last week. So I had the opportunity to go to Thornton Community Connections. If you don't know who they are, they are fantastic. They, uh, and this is gonna surprise you, they focus on connections. Do you see how they got there? So anyone who has food needs or needs housing assistance or uh, utility help or emergency repairs come up, they connect people to those who help uh, in, in individuals who have a certain income threshold that they fall below. So it's such a beautiful thing that they're doing, and we are excited to partner with them to help impact the community that God has placed us in. Also, I had the opportunity last week to follow up with Woodland Elementary. You might remember this uh, last winter, we did Heart of Advent, where we wanted to focus on the schools around us, those who are making a measurable difference in the community where we are by investing into the kids around us. And this past year and a half has been uh, taxing on all of us, but it's been especially taxing on teachers. And I can say that as the husband of a teacher. So it was so great to get to go and, and give them a check a little while ago to pay for tech licenses and supplies and just to boost morale by uh, uh, giving them staff t-shirts. A simple thing like that made them so excited. And it was really encouraging because we got a, a lovely letter from them just saying how much it meant to them. People talking about how they were moved to tears by it. How uh, this one really struck me. You are the first church in my teaching career that cared about your local public school. That is you guys. You guys did that. You are making a difference in our community. And it was a joy to get to go out there uh, a week ago last Friday and just pass out breakfast burritos and say thank you for what you're doing. We as a church want to be about outreach that's in calvary's dna that's in church planting dna we want to be caring for those around us making god's name glorious in everyone's life and we are getting to do that and the reason why we get to do that and why we focus on outreach is because it comes straight from the text because we want to be about the bible and that's this whole series that we're in this market up through first thessalonians where we are going through this entire book circling underlining highlighting whatever it is that we need to see what god was saying then and what god is saying to us now so a recap, Paul, Silas, or Silvanus, and Timothy went to the church in Thessalonica and preached to them the gospel. And Acts 17 tells us that some Jews believed, some Greeks, and not a few leading women who turned from idols and started following and worshiping the one true God. It was a beautiful, beautiful account in there. And what we see in 1 Thessalonians is that this church started to have an influence on those around them. They were an example. They had an impact on those around them as they started turning to Jesus themselves or having a stronger belief in Jesus because of the example given to us by this church in Thessalonica. We see that in verse 7. But what was it that was their influence? What was it about them that was influential uh, to others? And what we saw week one is that it was their life in Jesus, their work of faith, 
their labor of love, the steadfastness of hope in their life, people saw that and they were impacted by it. But this life didn't just spring up out of nowhere. It didn't just show up overnight. No, no, no. This life was proof, Tom told us last week, that they had received and believed the gospel. But also, this life came because they were following and imitating Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We see that in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, which says this, And you became imitators of us. So the church in Thessalonica, imitating Paul, Silas, and Timothy. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, and you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example. So imitating Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the church in Thessalonica had an influence on others around them. And what we said is we want to be a church of influence. We want people to turn to Jesus. We want people to have a stronger faith in Jesus because of the life that we are living, because we have received and believed the gospel. So how do we do that? How do we follow the Thessalonian church? And that's what this entire series has been about. The church in Thessalonica had an influence because of their life in Jesus, following the example of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, proving that they had received the gospel. So our passage today fills in one of those gaps. We said that they were imitating Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Well, what were they imitating? What was the life of Paul and Silas and Timothy like around them that they were imitating them? And that's what chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 will show us today. What was the life of Paul, Silas, and Timothy that this church was imitating? I, I think the best summary of what their life was like comes to us from chapter 2, verse 10. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10 talks about how uh, you are witnesses in God also, how holy, underline holy, and righteous, underline righteous, and blameless, underline blameless, was their conduct with you believers. So they were holy, righteous, and blameless. That is what their conduct was. That is what was being imitated by the Thessalonian church. Well, what does that mean that they were holy, righteous, and blameless? I think when we see this passage, we can come away with this thought, that these three men lived in a way that was in good standing with both God and man in message and behavior. Do you guys get that? So the church in Thessalonica was an influence because of their life. Their life was imitating Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Paul, Silas, and Timothy lived in a way that they were in good standing with both God and man in message and behavior. We'll focus on that first part of the message that they had and how that was in good standing with God and man when we start it up in verse 1. Let me read verse one for us. For you yourself know, brothers. I'm actually gonna stop it right there. Don't worry, we're not just gonna do this whole thing in five word chunks. Next, we'll do nine words. See, that's progress. <laughs> so, but there are two things that I wanna highlight in these first five words that we have right here. The first is, for you yourself know. Can you underline that phrase for me? And then after you underline it, look at verse two. It says, um, where am I at? Uh, as you know, and then verse five, not with words of flattery, as you know, and then verse 11, for you know, and then a similar idea, look at verse nine, for you remember, and you can only remember what you already know, right? Verse 10, you are witnesses. You can only be witnesses 
about what you know. So when we're reading a passage and we see an idea repeated time and time again, it should make us perk up. Why does he keep talking about that they know them, that they know their lives? Why does that keep coming up time and time again? We should take note of that. And what I think is what it is, is, is there's two things that's going on here. They were called to be imitators of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And you cannot imitate what you do not know. I thought about uh, back when I was working in student ministries, uh, we had this game that we played one time where we had this uh, picture up in the front, uh, up the stage, and the game was uh, we wanted to have uh, the students draw based off of the example. We want to see who had the best drawing, who best resembled the example that we had. But here's the thing, they were all blindfolded. So they couldn't see what it was. They had a partner who was telling them where to draw next. So what makes the game fun and enjoyable, at least for me, is their awful drawings. Like, it's just hilarious to see how, like, people's interpretation and how far off it is, because you cannot follow, you cannot do what you're supposed to do if you cannot see the example. We read in chapter 1, verse 6, that they were imitators of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, but they were only able to be imitators in chapter 1, verse 6, because of chapter 1, verse 5, which that page is hard to turn, but it says, uh, you know, you know, interesting, that sounds familiar, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sakes. You know how we lived. You know how we acted around you. And because of that, you are able to be imitators. And only because of that are you able to be imitators. The second reason why they keep saying you know, it seems that there's some false accusations that are being made about Paul, Silas, Timothy. We'll talk about that in a little bit uh, later when we go through the passage some more. But it seems like there's these false accusations that are made after they had left. And so these you knows seem to function as a, you know we're not like that, right? They're saying these things about us, but you got to see us. You have to spend time with us. You know that's not what we're like, right? So those two reasons why I think they keep saying, you know, and ideas like that time and time again. The second thing that I want to emphasize in uh, chapter two, verse one is the word brothers. So if you're following along with the full version of the ESV, which you don't have to, but if you are, you might see a footnote there. And every time the word brothers is used like this, the footnote says, and sisters. So it would read brothers and sisters. Because remember, Paul is talking to this church as a whole. Acts 17 told us it was Jews, it was Greeks, and not a few leading women, remember? So when we read it as brothers, that doesn't mean, uh, for those of you ladies in here, it's like, oh, I don't need to follow these commands in the Bible. These are just for the men. No, no, you're on the hook as well. Uh, but what's going on here, they're just using the masculine plural to speak for the whole. And we see this in languages all the time, right? In Spanish, eos can just be a group of men, or it can be a group of men and women. They're just using the masculine plural to speak for the whole. Same in French with il. And that's the extent of my language examples. But I hope the point still comes through that we sometimes use in other languages the masculine plural to speak for a group that can be of both men and women. That's what's going on here. It's using brothers, but it's using just that to represent all who are there, both genders, male 
and female. So as we're reading through it, it's helpful for us to remember who Paul is writing to. So let's read it as brothers and sisters. All right, let's finish off verse one. For you yourself know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. Their going to the Thessalonians was not fruitless. It was not a failure, even though at times it may have looked like it was. Verse two, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. We'll pick up on this a little bit further as we go on, but in Acts 16, Paul, Silas, uh, were in Philippi, and they had planted a church there. They faithfully preached the gospel, and they were beaten for it. They were put into jail for it. They were treated so shamefully for it, and yet they continued to go and preach the, the gospel. They continued to be faithful in presenting the gospel. And they're bringing it up, and the following verses are being brought up because of those false accusations that I talked about. Uh, we'll read through a whole series of, of denials. And where there are denials, uh, we must assume that there are accusations. Because uh, whenever we hear a denial, it's linked to something, right? If someone comes in and says, I didn't do anything in that room right there, out of nowhere, the thought goes to, what did they just do in that room, right? <laughs> denials are always linked to something. And so as we're reading these denials, we can assume that people are going and saying something about Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Maybe it's these Thessalonians, or not Thessalonians, these leaders who were going around and kicking Paul and Silas and Timothy out of cities. Maybe those who treated them so poorly in Philippi. We don't know, but we can figure out what they're saying based off of these denials. It's accusations kind of like, oh, Paul and Silas and Timothy, they're just like those other speakers, those that just go town to town. They roll in, they sound really good, but it's just meaningless words. All they're doing, they're just trying to get your money. So you shouldn't listen to them. I mean, look at it. They came into town and then they left pretty suspiciously. Oh, you can't trust them at all. And so we get these denials that we start reading about in verse 3 uh, that show us that someone is saying something about Paul, Silas, and Timothy, but you know, you know our message is not like those other speakers. You know what we were like. You can trust the message that we gave to you. So I want to go through these, these denials and uh, let's highlight them, underline them, whatever it is to, to uh, see them, because it helps us to draw attention to see what the message was like. But we're going to go pretty quick through these. So you got to make sure that you're sticking with me. All right. Lana's going to have her toughest time of going through slides right now. So let's see if we can do this. All right. We'll start in verse three. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with any pretext for greed, God is witness, nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as an apostle of Christ. All right, so what are the denials that we see here? The first one is in verse three. They did not spring from any error, underline error. So they didn't use any, any uh, falsehoods or anything like that to try to make their message sound better. Next is impurity, still verse three, underline impurity. 
They didn't have any ulterior motives, any, anything that they were trying to do uh, when they were presenting this message to, to build themselves up. Well, what might these ulterior motives be? Jump to verse 5. They didn't come with a pretext for greed, underline greed. Verse 6, nor do we seek glory, underline glory. All right, we'll pause just a little bit. So they didn't have this ulterior motive to come with greed, trying to seek to build up their financial assets, or with a seeking glory, trying to seek to build themselves up, to feed their pride. They didn't come in those ways. We'll hop back to verse 3. They didn't come with any attempt to deceive. They didn't use any falsehoods or, or uh, tricks to try to make themselves sound more compelling. And then finally, you guys still with me? Perfect. Verse 5. They did not come with words of flattery. Just as they didn't seek to build themselves up, they didn't build up the Thessalonians to try to look more appealing or to look like they had a, a better message than they did. All of these denials in here are saying we are not like those itinerant speakers who go town to town to town, just saying whatever they can to try to get as much money or get as much fame or pride or glory as that they can. We were not like those people because those people only seek, verse 4, to please man. They have a message that is seeking only to please man. We did not use any of these tactics. We did not use anything like this in our message. And so you can trust us. So what we see in this is Paul, Silas, and Timothy were in good standing with man in their message because they did not use these tactics that others were using around them that everyone looked down upon. So they had a message that was in good standing with man. But more important than that, they had a message that was in good standing with God. Look back at uh, verse 2. We have boldness in our God to declare to you not something we made up, not something that we knew was a lie, not something that was just a trendy story at the time that we tried to jump on a board to get fame or glory or money ourselves. No, no. We sought to declare to you the gospel of God. Circle gospel of God there. But not just that. Look throughout those first six verses. Where else do we see God pop up in those first six verses? And if you're looking at the slide, you're cheating. So look at the text. Where else do we see God pop up in, in uh, the, the next, uh, next couple verses? No, no, really. Where do we see God pop up in the, in the first six verses? Approved by God. Yeah, absolutely. Where else do we see? God is witness. Yeah. We also have, we had boldness in our God. And I think just one more, and we could throw the slide up now. Pleased, uh, God was pleased with us in there. But to please, or sorry, we sought to please God who tests our heart. So God shows up throughout this entire section. This is saying that we were not like those other speakers who come into town who just try to build themselves up. Instead, God is the focus of this message. God is the source of this message. It is all completely centered upon God. So in everything that we said, everything, our message was in good standing with man because we were not like these other speakers. But more important than that, it was a message in good standing with God. Okay, so... Why does this 
Oh, sorry. So one quick thing before I go to application. Uh, the greatest source of trust that the Thessalonians could have in Paul, Silas, and Timothy's message. The greatest reason why they were worthy of being imitating and emulated is because of verse two. You know how shamefully we were treated. You know how much pain we were put through. You know how awful and it was, how much we suffered, and yet we still continued to preach the gospel. We still continue to speak about what is true. This is so impactful. This completely undoes the, the false accusations against them because a fraud is not willing to do this. At the first signs of difficulty, someone who's making up a story or someone who, who's doing something that they know is not right or, or someone who is, uh, who's just going along with the ride and just trying to get money out of, out of a source, the first signs of difficulty, they abandon it. A fraud is not willing to stick in there when things get hard. No one wants things to be hard. And so why would someone willingly take on those times in before a lie? Faithfulness in the midst of difficulty proves pure motives. And because of that, we can see that Paul, Silas, and Timothy had a message that was in good standing with both God and man. So what does this have to do with us? Because again, we want to see what did the Bible say so we can understand what is God saying now to us. And what we are to do is we are to also seek out a message that is in good standing with both God and man. We are told that the gospel will be divisive. Matthew 10, Jesus is speaking that the name and teaching of Jesus will drive people apart. It will cause conflict at times. But what we're seeing now is not always people leaving the church or not wanting to go to a church or denouncing Christianity or not wanting anything to do with Jesus. Not so much because of the content of the message, but because of the messengers. What we are seeing is people who are speaking with, and it's the, the denials. We are seeing people speaking with error and impurity and deceit and flattery, all with a, a pretext for greed or building up glory. We are seeing people use these tactics in their messages rather than going to the gospel of God itself. And so we must be aware of this. We are called to have a message in good standing with both God and man. So what this means, if I or anyone on the stage is ever using error or uh, impurity or deceit or flattery, all trying to build up greed or glory, if I am ever saying that, then I am not being approved by God and I need to be held accountable by that. I need a message that's in good standing with both God and man. All of us have a speaking role in this. All of us are called to teach. All of us are called to share the gospel. And when we are doing so, we need to be taking inventory. Am I going off of my own efforts or am I preaching the gospel? Am I using these tactics or am I being centered on, uh, am I centering on God like Paul, Silas, and Timothy did? As I am being taught, assess is this the truth of God or is this one human's ability? 
We are called to have a message in good standing with both God and man, and we are seeing that abandoned today. And so we need to be vigilant, to protect the truth of God, to be seeing who has been entrusted with the gospel, and be uh, holding ourselves and others accountable for that most glorious truth that we've been given. So we are told that they have a message that's in good standing with both God and man, that the, uh, the Thessalonians emulated this, that they brought this in their own life as well, and that was the source of their influence. But we said that there was one other thing that they were imitating, and it was their behavior. Paul, Silas, and Timothy had a behavior that was in good standing with both God and man. And we'll pick that up in verse 7. But, and this idea is connected with what we saw at the end of verse 6, we could have made demands on you as apostles of Christ. We could have asked for some financial support. We could have requested things of you because we were speakers. But, again, one of the reasons why their message was in good standing with men is that they didn't have a pretext for greed. They didn't even want to appear to have a pretext for greed, so they didn't make any demands. They didn't make any requests. They just came and preached. But... We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Now, I, I fully recognize that not all of us have the best image of a mother because of the image that we have of our mother. Not all of us have the best relationship with our mom. But what is being talked about here in this first of two parental images that apply to both Paul, uh, apply to Paul, Silas, and Timothy is what we ought to expect of a mother the selfless devotion of a mother to her child, the love and sacrifice that goes into that, the giving and giving and giving without receiving anything back. That is the gentleness with which Paul and Silas and Timothy treated the Thessalonians. We said they gave and gave. What is it that they gave? Verse eight. So being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you became very dear to us. Whatever you need to do to underline, signify, affectionately desirous, do that. It's such a beautiful phrase. We were affectionately desirous of you. We treated you with such gentleness, like a mother treating a, a newborn child. So we shared with you the gospel, which is verses one through six that we already read. And we shared with you our very selves, our very lives. There are some of us who are ready at a moment's notice to share the gospel with someone, but we do not share ourselves. We're ready to talk about Jesus, but we remain complete strangers. There are others of us who we share our lives with people, but we never get to the sharing of the gospel. We're great friends, it's just, Jesus never really comes up. We are called to both. We are called to be like the Thessalonians who are following the example of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They shared the gospel and they shared their lives. Paul, Silas, and Timothy went right to where the Thessalonians were, where they lived, where they worked, where they played, and they spent time with them there. They were right next to them, knowing them, knowing who they are, not just knowing stuff about them, but knowing their very selves. And while they were there, they shared the gospel to them. 
we are called to do the same, to share ourselves and to share the gospel with others. But the reason why that's so difficult, the reason why we don't do that is because of the amount of sacrifice that it takes. It is uncomfortable. It takes us from our comfort. It takes, uh, it takes us from doing what we would much rather be doing. Uh, following in this pattern doesn't let us set our own times and boundaries and, and doing that. It's going alongside people that God has placed in our lives and sharing our lives with them. And it takes time. Oh man, does it take time. Time to listen, to hear concerns, to hear wounds to hear about how they've been hurt in the past. And probably we're gonna have to keep hearing about that. There's times where we keep hearing that. It's like, all right, can we get to some other topic other than this? It takes so much time to work through this, to, to make an influence on others. It takes sacrifice and time, and that is so difficult to do. And yet we are called to follow this example, not only sharing the gospel, but our very selves. As I said, there are some of us who have that message part down. We have the content down, but we do not share our lives with other people. When we know the gospel super well, but we do not demonstrate the love to others that has been shown to us in that gospel, it would be more beneficial if we just shut up. And we might be upset about how I phrase that, but I think we'd be more upset, we should be more upset with the propensity in us to share only the gospel and not ourselves. There are others of us in here who we share our lives with people, but we don't get to the gospel. Maybe we think it will come off as offensive. Maybe it will seem unloving to, to force this upon them. But what we're actually doing, we're doing the meanest thing that we possibly could the most unloving thing that we can do by not showing them the love of God. We are called to do both. Affectionately desirous of you, called to love people. We should feel the same way towards others. We're ready not only share the gospel with you, but our very selves to come along people God has placed in our lives, to care for them, to love for them like a, uh, with gentleness like a nursing mother. They also didn't want to be a burden on these believers. And so we see that in verses 9 and 10. For remember, brothers and sisters, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. So they didn't want to have a financial impact on these new believers, and so they worked. They worked to pay their own wages. Now, before I lose all job security, let me just say, uh, <clears throat> this was a, uh, a church that they had spent just a little bit of time with, right? That, that we're told that it was uh, over the course of three Sabbaths that they had with them in Acts 17. We don't know if they were consecutive or whatever it was, but it's, it's at most months that they spent with these people. And if it was a short amount of time that they spent with them, it stands to reason these would all be new converts, new people to Christianity, right? And so with them being new Christians, they did not want to come in and preach Jesus and, and demand money. Remember, we did not come to you with a pretext for greed. We did not want to have even the appearance of having a pretext for greed. So for the sake of the gospel, they worked. They paid their own wages. They, they worked for what they needed. This is different from, let's say, Philippi, a more established church, a church where uh, they got to be with earlier. 
uh, which would be more established Christians, right? Philippians 4, 15 and 16 in your margins or somewhere there. So that we remember that that verse has something to do with these verses right here. And I'll, I'll read it for us. So Philippians 4, verses 15 and 16 says this, and you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered in partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, oh, that sounds like a cool place. I wonder what's going on there. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So with these new Christians in this new place that they're at, in Thessalonica, they worked. They worked to pay what they needed for because they did not want to be a burden on these new Christians. With more established Christians, those Christians gave. They supported the ministry Paul and Silas and Timothy were doing. They gave money so that the gospel could be preached. You have two different tactics for two different groups of people. And this is what we try to follow here at Calvary. One of the, the marks that we have, one of, one of our shaping values is that of financial stewardship, where we give uh, generously of our financial resources. But the time that we talk about that is when the passage mentions money or membership. We talk a lot about giving at membership. For those who call Calvary Bible Church their home church, for those who have been saved by grace, for those who see that every good thing that we have has been given to us by, by God, we give back. For those of you who are new to Calvary or new to church in general, you might notice we made no demands of you. There wasn't an offering box for you to have to pay to get in here. The, the QR code that we had in the beginning, that doesn't contain a bug that slowly drains your accounts of finances. Nothing like that at all. But those who have been saved by God give back in response to all that he has done to support the ministry so that we can do outreach, so that we can pass out breakfast burritos, so that we can make a difference in our community because God has given us so much. Those who do not follow well, we ask that you don't give. We ask that you receive. We want to tell you about who Jesus is. We want to show you the grace of God that's been given to us. Second thing that this passage does is it shows us the value of work. I'm so grateful that this has been an area of growth for the church. For the longest time, we've been teaching, whether verbally or uh, maybe not so much, that the most holy work is that what is done in a church or on a missions field. And you know, all other jobs, they're just a way to fund those things. This shows us the beauty of work, that they labored and toiled, yes, to not be a burden on these new Christians, but also because the labor and the toil in the work is a ministry in and of itself. That God is glorified in that labor and toil. It can be as worshipful as us gathering together on a Sunday, as we use God's strength and his ability and his love to work in a manner that is honoring and reflective back to him. Work is so beautiful, and we must remember that where God has placed us, that he will use us, and he's placed us there for a reason. And the reason for that is that God works through teachers and through engineers, that God works through stay-at-home moms and stay-at-home dads, and for all jobs that are currently stay-at-home. God works through line cooks and linesmen. God works through deep-sea fishermen and deep-tissue masseuses through shelf stockers and ER doctors. 
and he works through preachers on occasion. <laughs> in all of these areas and more, not one of them is more holy or more spiritual than the other. In our workings, in our labor, and our toil, God is using that for his own workings. Let's finish off our passage. Verses 11 and 12. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom. So we talked before about the illustration of, of a mother, how that might bring up some different things. And here, it's an illustration of a father of how they ought to be behaving in that position God has placed them in. And in the Greek culture of Thessalonica, the, the, it would have been shaped by the thinking of Aristotle whether directly or indirectly. This is what Aristotle said. Uh, he said, the relationship of a father to sons is regal in type, since a father's first care is for his children's welfare. Aristotle goes on to talk that welfare is everything that we think about it. It's what's good for the child, what they need, uh, providing for the child uh, that they have. But welfare also included for Aristotle moral instruction that for their betterment, they need to be taught how to live. Following that example, we have Paul, Silas, and Timothy act in the capacity of a father, where they exhorted them, underline exhorted. This is their teaching or their message. And they also charge them to walk in a manner worthy of God, underline walk in a manner worthy of God. This is their behavior, how they were called to live. So they're giving them the message and the behavior. Throughout this entire time, we talked about how the Thessalonians were following the example of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, that these three were holy, blameless, and righteous. Is that the third one? Yes, right? Holy, blameless, and uh, holy, righteous, and blameless. That's what it was. So they were holy, righteous, and blameless. And what we said that meant through this context is that they lived in a way that was in good standing with both God and man in message and in behavior. And as we want to be a church of influence, we too want to be like the Thessalonians who are living in Jesus, following the example of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, proving that they have received and believed the gospel. So we as Calvary Bible Church want to live in a way that's in good standing in both, with both God and man in message and behavior. So as we are preaching a message, whether it's on stage or at a dinner table, we want to do that in good standing with both God and man. As we are living a life as a nursing mother or just like a nursing mother, as a father or just like a father, using uh, in the work of ministry or using our ministry as work, in all things we are seeking to share not only the gospel, but our very selves. And that is an influential life. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to learn of what you've done through this church, through this example that you've given us, this example lived out in the life of Paul and Silas and Timothy. Help us to live in such a way, to have a, a, a life that's in good standing with both you and with man in both message and in behavior. Help us to seek after you in all things, to live above reproach, to come alongside people, to share our very selves with them, but also to share who you are. You have done all for us. So live in this way 
to reflect back to you, not to earn your love, but because we have been so shaped by your love. Help us to live in such a way that we can point people to you all for your glory. See you and you alone, we pray. Amen.